This morning's first reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 2. prayer that Hannah prayed after she left her baby Samuel after he'd been weaned at the temple. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no one holy like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird strength, gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honour. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For by might one does not prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. The second reading is from Psalm chapter 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. The Lord has made known his victory. He has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Bring forth joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who live in it. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy at the presence of the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The third reading is from Luke chapter 1, starting from verse 26. In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in my God, my Saviour. For he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Well, no doubt uh, for you as well, Christmas is uh, well and truly into full swing now. 
uh, you've begun, uh, all the stuff that goes with Christmas, um, uh, the gifts, the, the meal, uh, if you're uh, fortunate enough, the, the holiday, uh, the, the family, the friends, the organisation. Um, and it, it's interesting the way that some people, uh, I think many of us in, in some aspects actually, begin to approach Christmas with a bit of ambivalence. Uh, in all the good but secondary things, uh, this morning and the next couple of weeks, we want to take some time to focus on uh, the wonderful and primary thing. Uh, and it's, it's simply this. This is what Christmas constitutes. This is what it means. This is what it speaks or proclaims. Um, God sent his child to become a human being so that we human beings could become God's children. It, re- it really is just as simple, just as profound, just as life-changing as that. God sent his child to become a human being so that we human beings could become God's children. Uh, we'll be in Luke over the next three weeks, uh, three Sundays, and um, our reading this morning is from what's called the Magnificat, uh, which is uh, a, a Latin phrase that comes from the first word, my soul magnifies the Lord's Magnificat, where Mary responds from the depth of her being. Uh, she responds with her soul. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. And what's so interesting uh, for Mary, uh, of course, uh, is that she is touched and utterly changed in the very core of her being. Not, uh, I I sense the need for improvement in my life. Uh, Not, I've got a a few techniques uh, to apply in a self-help kind of way. No, Christmas touches her at the point of her soul. She, she doesn't just add Christmas to her otherwise ongoing agenda. What Christmas does is change your agenda completely. And what we see here is what enables Mary to sing uh, with this Christmas joy. Christmas tells her something incredibly important about herself and something incredibly important about God. And it's because she deeply grasps these truths that Mary sings. That that overflow of the soul, which is what song is designed to be. And there's every reason to hope that if we grasp these truths in our souls as well, then we too will sing with the same kind of transforming joy that we see here in Mary. So Christmas and me, Christmas is God, and Christmas and God's purpose. First thing, what does Mary learn about herself? See how the song starts. Uh, And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, verse 46, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. One of the things we see here is that Mary is fully aware of who she is. Uh, She's under no illusions and she's in no doubt. Uh, She knows who she is and she's a blessed sinner. Two very important things uh, to notice about that. Uh, Firstly, uh, on the one hand, Mary is a sinner in need of a saviour as much as anyone else. 
Of course, it's the Roman Catholic Church that needs to hear this. She's not Mary of the Immaculate Conception, which tries to say that she was sinless and not in need of a saviour. No, that can't be true uh, on her own admission. My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. And yet at the same time, she's blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. And so we don't need to go to the other hyper-Protestant extreme, if you like, and dismiss her. No, she has a wonderful part, a remarkable part to play in salvation history. In a sense, the first Christian who responds to God with that astonishing confession of faith. Let it be to me according to your word. just not qualitatively different from the rest of us. And so we're invited to to see her sense of herself, both a lowly sinner for whom the Saviour came and profoundly blessed, lifted up and lifted high. And the invitation you see in, in here is for us to perceive ourselves in Mary, in Mary's response, that this is our identity Two, that we need to hold on to both sides of it. If you have sinner without being blessed, a sense of of one's own weakness and compromised nature, then you'll be crushed by your sense of yourself. But but on the other hand, if you have a sense of the, the blessing that you've received without knowing that you're a sinner in need of a saviour, well then there'll never be room for God really in your life. At the very best, he'll be confined to the margins. But this is the gospel, right? This is the gospel, that it's sinners who are blessed. Not that the good come in and the bad are scattered. No, that's not the gospel, that's the law. Now, the gospel, the gospel of Christmas is that those who know they are bad are brought in. But those who think they are good are scattered. So Mary sings as a blessed sinner. And and the truth is that in our own lives, that's the only way any of us will ever sing, actually. But what's important here is that Mary moves very quickly on from herself. She starts with herself, with her own identity, but immediately her attention is focused elsewhere on God, the Lord. Now, there's something very important about the fact that Mary says that her soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you noticed as uh, we were reading through, a little earlier, uh, Mary comes to Elizabeth uh, and uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth said, why has the mother of my Lord come to me? Okay, why has the mother of my Lord come to me? But... Remember, when Mary sings, she sings of her soul magnifying the Lord. And so which is it? Who's the Lord? Is it the Lord who sends the baby or is the Lord the baby? Which one is it? And the answer, of course, is yes. You might imagine that these are just ignorant peasant women, if, if that's your sort of stance. But actually, there's a very deep insight that we're being given here. There is a subtlety and complexity uh, in the understanding of God that is actually being given to us. The one who is to be born, Jesus, 
shares the identity of God. And nothing less than that. He's he's a human being, yes. He's born of Mary, yes. And he's the Lord, yes. So that God is both transcendent and imminent. Both far, far above us, infinitely, qualitatively different from us. And absolutely with us. And so she sings, For the mighty one, verse 49, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, so much of our our culture and the sort of popular uh, media and and all that we'll hear over the next few weeks uh, will think of Christmas uh, in, in what I think you could accurately call a humanistic fashion. That is that uh, Christmas is a time, and, and you know you hear stories of, of occasions during wars even, when on Christmas Day there'd be a ceasefire, uh, when people are to treat each, are to treat each other uh, better and, and more humanely, where there's to be peace on earth and goodwill to all people. And there's something very right about that. I'm not, I'm not you know, going to poo-poo that. I don't think, don't think that's... You don't need to do that. Um, That's the consequence of Christmas, that that we should treat each other in that way. Sadly, of course, it's it's usually pretty temporary. It gets to about three o'clock on Christmas lunchtime, I think. The, the, The food is settled and the afternoon weariness eases in. It's the consequence of Christmas, but it's not the meaning of Christmas. Christmas is the ultimate manifestation of the being and glory of God. And Mary teaches us, overflows with three aspects of the reality of God's nature and being. On the one hand, he is mighty. Uh, She's just been told that she'll give birth to the Son of God. uh, And and we see here God being mighty over human reproduction. God uh, being mighty over the laws of biology as the Angel uh, says to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And initially, I think it's probably fair enough to say that Mary's a little hesitant uh, to believe it. Uh, She's not entirely convinced. She runs off to Elizabeth to check it out. But she becomes convinced, and this is the absolute bedrock belief of confession in the living and true God, that God is mighty. And I wonder if if there's something very significant for us to see here, that if occasionally we likewise are not entirely convinced of the mightiness of God. Uh, Most of the time when we do something wrong or fail to do the right thing, uh, when we distort the truth or when we're cruel or unkind to other people, when we hold a grudge and don't forgive people, when we're cold towards God or just kind of relegate him to a bit part in our lives, um, most of the time those those surface sins, if you like, um, have beneath them a sin, a sin that's beneath the sin, that's driving the sin, a sin that's much kind of more embedded into the structure of our personality and conviction. And very often it's the case that that sin beneath the sin is unbelief. That you don't really believe that God is mighty. 
you see. That you're not entirely convinced that he'll back you up with his mighty power and promise to be sufficient for you. Because if we did believe that, if, if, if that was deeply operative for us, then you could step out and risk getting hurt in the short run. You could say with Mary, in a life-altering manner, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever it is you have for me, I'm up for that. Because you are mighty, Lord. And whatever happens, I know that you're on my side. And that if God is for me, who can be against me? So that's the first thing, he's mighty. But notice uh, the, the second thing is Mary sings of the holiness of God. Holy is his name. Uh, holy means that God is opposed to sin, that um, if you like, he will never get used to sin. That he's a consuming fire. Uh, one of the defining kind of characteristic positions of our uh, culture is that we do get used to sin. Um, I'm only human, is the way we, we say it. I'm only human. Well, Jesus was only human too, which, by the way. Uh, except he was more than human. Greed in the workplace, self-aggrandizement amongst people. Uh, the assumption that the rules don't apply to me, the use of pornography as though it were an adequate expression of sexual desire. People cheating one another if they think they'll get away with it, slandering people as though it were nothing. We, we just get used to sin. Uh, so much so that very often we hardly even notice it anymore, except in extreme forms. That's why we have the nightly news, right? It's to show us extreme sinners out there to basically help us be more and more comfortable with the fact that I'm not one of them. We're reluctant to name it even. Name it publicly or even name it privately to each other. But God is holy. And he'll never get used to sin. His, his name, his nature is acidic towards sin. He's come to deal with our sin. And, and Christmas really is just the length to which God is prepared to go to do that. So God is mighty and he's holy. And then third, Mary confesses that God is merciful. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, she sings. And of course, this is utterly crucial, um, that God is merciful, that there is, if you like, a prejudice, a bias, a bent in God. Um, he's not indifferent. He's not kind of, well, I guess I don't mind one way or the other how things go for people. No, he's merciful. He has no pleasure in the death of a sinner. He has enormous, heaven-shaking pleasure when a sinner repents. And this is what fires Mary's soul, you see. The character, the being of God. And, and the crucial thing here is that you need all three of these elements. Um, power, holiness, Mercy, And if you leave one out, not, I mean, not if you leave them out in the sense that you forget to tick one, one of the boxes, right? I mean, we're all, all I imagine tick the boxes. I, I mean, if one element or other is not operative for you, doesn't actually function for you, 
then the Christian life doesn't function at all. It's like a three-legged stool without a stool, without, without a leg. It could be that, I think like much of our culture actually, the way that they reject God is by saying that he's a God without mercy, that he's powerful and that he's holy. He's a kind of uh, big person in the sky with a big stick that he likes whacking people with. He's got the power and the moral right perhaps to crush people. But they've not grasped the mercy of God. And so they hate him. Or it might be that, that what operates for you is the might and mercy of God, but no holiness. Oh, he's strong, he's big, and he's good to you, yes, and he just keeps giving you things like an indulgent grandfather, always asking. But you're never worshipping. Because it's only the holiness of God that will turn you to worship. Unaware of the cost to him of his mercy. That the God to whom the universe is a speck became a speck, you see. An embryo out of the demands of his holiness. Or, or is the third way, I guess, he's holy and merciful. You grasp that, but not mighty. And a holy and merciful God just yells at us and tells us what to do and hopes that we'll get our moral act together when everything in history screams that we human beings are irretrievably, morally and spiritually incompetent. Now, it's when you know the real God, the real God of Christmas, that Mary sings of mighty and holy and merciful, that you too will be able to sing from your soul with joy. Because he's holy, he must do something. Because he's merciful, he wants to do something. And because he's mighty, he can do something about the brokenness and the tears of our world. So the first thing that creates Christmas joy for Mary is God's nature, but the second thing is his purpose. And you see it in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now what's so important here is that uh, the purposes of God are public, not just private. Uh, one of the great things and uh, one of the most irritating things I think to people uh, about Christianity is that it, it can't be just a private religion. Uh, Mary moves from what God has done for her to what God is doing beyond her in, in history out there in the world. Modern spirituality is all about me and my essence, my fulfilment, my ideals. Um, it's essentially a, a diverse range of self-help philosophies. And that is completely different, utterly qualitatively different from the truth of Christmas. Um, modern religion are principles for successful living one way or another entirely subjective. But Christianity is public religion. It's precisely this that makes Christianity not only subjective, a private spirituality, which it is, but also objective, a public 
historical, verifiable fact. It's not that its claims are simply that it will work for you. It's rather it will work for you whether you know it or like it or not. The claim of Christmas is that God has changed the nature of things. The order of the universe. The way things actually are outside us. God has punched a hole in the ceiling of history and it's now coming down on our heads. And that's the case whether we believe it or see it or not. And it means that either we see Jesus for whom Mary sings of him to be and receive him as the overflow of the might and mercy and holiness of God and worship him with a soul full to overflowing. Or or you do something else with Jesus. Which can go all the way from rejection to respect. I mean, it's perfectly possible to respect Jesus. But they all amount to the same thing if they're short of worship. Which is that you lose all hope with God. You see, other religions are private. Christianity is deeply, stubbornly public. That God has done something out in the open, out in the world, and that he's changed everyone's relationship with him and themselves, with life's meaning and destiny. That he's done the kind of thing that you can capture with a video recorder. And that that makes for a moment of crisis for every single person, you see. It's not an invitation to experience something. It's a command to respond to something that God has done. And our modern culture hates that. Very comfortable for us to have a private spirituality. You turn that into a public fact. And that's a different thing altogether. And what is it that God is doing in Jesus? What has he done? You see, it's all according to the promise that he made. All the families of the earth will be blessed in you. That's the promise God made to Abraham. 1,800 years prior. 400 years since he'd even been a prophet. It seemed like God had totally abandoned his promises, but the joy of Christmas is that God never forgets his promises. And what he is doing is radically overturning the values of this world. That the up are down and the down are up. That the proud are scattered and the powerful are brought down and the rich are sent away. Uh, Have you noticed the rich are never sent away? I I don't know if you've seen rich people. From time to time, for reasons, I, 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 I meet some rich people or I see them in a context. And what happens to rich people is only... The biggest welcome. They're never sent away, rich people. Except by God. Because instead, it's the lowly who are lifted up. And it's the hungry who are filled. And it's those who fear him who are blessed. Uh, So much of human religion is about telling people they've got what it takes. That they have enormous potential... And all they've got to do is unlock that potential and realise it. And, and Mary says, Christmas says, God doesn't work with people like that. 
The, the message of Christmas is not just that God differs from human expectations, it's that God turns human expectations on their heads. That's why Mary predicts here that the, the more wealthy and educated and powerful you are, the less likely you are to receive anything from God. The more you think you've got, the more you'll be turned away. Whereas the poor and the hungry and the lowly, the empty, they find the mercy and grace of God. Now, of course, that means that we, this morning here, are in a terribly great danger. Uh, one of the things, when you, when you read this material, uh, you, you, we like to believe that it automatically applies to us, but the fact is that in many ways, on the surface, we're on the wrong side of what Mary sings, don't you think? I mean, do you see that for yourself? Uh, we are, in world terms, rich and powerful and educated and confident. And rich and powerful and educated and confident people find it very difficult to know that they're deeply inadequate. They've been told all their lives that they're not, you see. That you can solve pretty much any problem that comes your way. You've just got to apply yourself with a good deal of diligence. But that's only on the surface, isn't it? Do, do you have enough insight to, to know that that's only on the surface? If you see with Mary's eyes, if you know that you need a saviour more than you need anything else in all the world, if you fear God with a deep reverence and awe, then the unspeakable joy of Christmas is that you'll find infinite mercy and mighty power and purifying holiness. All right. Uh, we will do a fair amount of singing this Christmas, like most Christmases. It's one of the things I like uh, most about Christmas, uh, the singing. Uh, there's, uh, we've begun and there's, uh, there's plenty more to come. We have a beautiful, beautiful nine lessons and carols service uh, this Friday night. And I'd urge you, if you are able to make it, to come along. I think you'll find it um, very, very enriching and inspiring. Um, but, it, but it's possible to just go through the motions, isn't it? To just sing with your lips. And not really from your soul. And that would be a terrible shame. In all the familiarity and in all the just hustle and sometimes even hassle of Christmas. To not really sing from your soul. In the gift of Jesus this Christmas, know yourself again. More deeply and more truly. And know God because when you do, it thrills you to the core of your being so that your soul too will magnify the Lord.